But it's exciting, isn't it? We've got the new year ahead of us, the whole year in front of us. And I'm believing that there's a harvest. You guys believe in that, that God has great things planned for us. He has great things in store and that he's going to use us in great ways and that he's calling us to be fruitful as a church, um, individually, in our workplace, in our families. He wants us to bear fruit. God is an incredibly generous God and he wants us to succeed. But we're in a culture, aren't we, where sometimes there can be a bit of rivalry and competition. It's like people don't always want others to succeed. It's like there's a culture of wanting others to get by but not to do too well or else maybe they'll show you up and you'll feel insecure. Maybe you've had a boss at work who you felt hasn't wanted you to succeed and do well in your position and that's made your life hard. Maybe you've had a friend where you felt there's been a competition in a sense of if something really great has happened to you, there's a sense of loss in them and there's this difficult sense of competition. Um, and I think I actually heard something not long ago um, about the culture in the UK being, what's it, what did they say? The phrase was, um, uh, I haven't even written this down, I shouldn't have even gone down this line, but I, I've started <laughs> now, I've started, so I'm going to have to carry on. It's called the tall poppy syndrome, that's it, the tall poppy syndrome, which is that as soon as one poppy rises its head above the others, everyone else wants to chop it down so that everybody's on, on the same sort of thing. But God is so different from that. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to thrive in our faith. He wants to see us doing exceptionally well. Just as we were praying this morning, Simon, um, at the start, he prayed about growth this year and seeing people come to know him, to come to know the Lord. And I believe Jesus wants to see people come to know him through us and through our work as a church and through what we're going to be doing. He wants to see our work multiply. He's a generous God. He wants to see us succeed. And today's passage that we're going to be looking at is a parable that Jesus told, and it'll be one that we're probably all very familiar with. And the heart of it is about a miraculous harvest. It is about being fruitful in the Lord and it being a miraculous thing that can only be done in the Lord. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting from verse 1 to 20. So does everyone have a Bible who needs it? Who's ready? Mark chapter 4. Just give you a moment to find it. Flick through, see what you need to do. Swipe. So Mark chapter 4, verse, starting from verse 1. So it's the parable of the sower. So again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, 60 and some a 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand the parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times what was sown. Now you might have heard teaching on this passage before that goes a little something like this. There are four types of people in this world, and which are you? Are you hard-hearted, not hearing the word of the Lord, not responding to him? Are you like the rocky soil where you hear the word and you accept it with joy, but then you get flattened by the difficulties of life? Are you like the seed which grows up but then is choked by the worries of this life? Or are you the fourth type of person, the fourth type of soil, fruitful in the Lord in everything you do, fruit coming out of your ears, fruit wherever you go, everything you touch turns to gold. Are you that type of person? What I find is the message of scripture is actually one like a yo-yo at times. Take Peter, the disciple. He is trained by Jesus for three years. He's one of Jesus' closest disciples. When push comes to shove, he denies Jesus three times. I do not know him. I do not know him. I do not know him. Now, to me, if I was to judge Peter on that, it sounds like he's ground number one. Oh, he's a hard ground. The word of God isn't getting into his heart, is it? It's not bearing fruit in his life. We don't see any fruit in his life. But then soon after, we see Jesus reinstating him and saying that on him, on this rock, Peter, he will build his church. And even shortly after that, he was filled with the Spirit and pen- at Pentecost, and he was bearing much fruit. Peter was like a yo-yo. And it's almost like sometimes I feel we need to get over ourselves in trying to box people in and box ourselves in. I was actually chatting to someone in the run-up to preparing this sermon, and they they had so much insecurity about their own walk with God, and they were saying, like, oh, I think, I'm, I, think I am, you know, like ground number two I think you know that's just who I am and that's what my life is like but my experience and I believe the experience of many of us is that there are areas of our walk and our life with Jesus that is fruitful 
and is bearing fruit and good things are happening. But then there's also areas where my heart is hard and where I'm maybe not following Jesus as I could. There are areas where I feel choked by worries and by distractions. But then there's areas that I'm bearing fruit. And so I think what I want us to consider today is not which ground am I, but rather how can we in our life following Jesus push ourselves and encourage others into that final quarter of bearing fruit? How can we live a life which is defined by God's grace and what he's going to do in us and bearing fruit? How can we live our lives in that final quarter and in that miraculous provision of God? And of course, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's great. I want to live a fruitful life. I want to see my friends and family come to know the Lord. I want the church to bear fruit. I want the church to grow. I want to see amazing things happen in our community. But how yeah we want to see it happen but but how and the wonderful thing about this parable is jesus makes it crystal clear how the fruit comes in verse 20 we read this others like seed sown on good soil hear the word accept it and produce a crop They hear the word, they accept the word, and they produce a crop. Jesus gives us three keys to bearing fruit as we follow him. And the first key is to hear his word. To hear his word. I believe the Lord is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get my attention. I believe he's trying to get your attention. But often we can be so distracted, can't we? And it can feel like we have this hard heart. In in that first soil, the ground would have been trampled down. It would have been hard because in those days, there weren't necessarily clearly defined fields with clearly defined markers. But actually, fields were often open spaces and they would have had um, pathways. They would have had tracks through the fields which people would often take to get from one place to another. And so that track would have been trampled down and gradually got harder and harder and harder. So as the farmer went out to scatter the seed by hand, some seed would naturally fall on the on the hard ground and it wouldn't be able to penetrate. It wouldn't be able to get through. And so Jesus said the birds of the air would come and pick it up and take it away. And the parable uh, means to place alongside. It's like Jesus using an illustration. And what he places alongside that is when we have hard hearts before him and his word of life, his seed of life, just can't get through. And because it's sitting there on the surface, the enemy, the devil, comes and takes it from us and takes it away. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Lord is trying to get our attention. And that's really difficult when our hearts are hard before him. I remember I was 23 years old at the time. I was, uh, don't say wow yet, I've not told you what's happening. (laughs) It's very encouraging though, thank you. Yeah, wow, yeah, (laughs) come on. (laughs) I was 23 years old and graduating from university. I was engaged, I'd proposed to the lovely Abby then Foster, now Thomas. Um, I'd proposed as our dissertation was about to be 
handed in as our final exams were due. She thankfully said yes. It was brilliant, but we graduated in the middle, of roughly the middle of July. And I think within something like eight weeks, we were meant to be getting married. And I was needing to um, find work. We were trying to find a place to stay for when we were married. We were preparing the wedding and I was feeling really stressed and all this stuff was building up. And I found that my, my stomach was just getting more tense and more tense, but I didn't relate it to the stress. I just thought like, it just is what it is. And I ended up going to the doctor and they diagnosed me with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and gave me some medication to help just relieve the symptoms. Um, but I just thought it, ju it just is what it is. And I remember me and Abby were at a church conference, church event with City Church, and um, a long-standing member of City Church, a lovely lady, came up to us and we were chatting to her. And I don't know how it came up in conversation, but I'd said that I'd been diagnosed with IBS and she asked to pray for me. And so she put her hands on my shoulders and she, it sounds a bit strange, it was a bit strange, but God worked through it. She, she started brushing my shoulders and saying, stress be gone in Jesus' name, stress be gone in Jesus' name. And in that moment, I felt quite annoyed because I didn't tell her that I had been stressed. And I thought, do you think I have IBS because I'm stressed? How rude, <laughs> how, how dare you make that assumption? That's not right at all, it's just, it just is what it is, it's just a physical thing. It's not related to how I'm dealing with my stress. But as she prayed, I just felt like God's peace go deeper and deeper physically into my stomach and start to release the stress. And it was like in that moment, as she was praying out those words and speaking out freedom in Jesus' name, I realized that I had had a hard heart for the Lord and that I was holding on to all the stress myself and all the questions, all the doubts, all the worries, all the concerns, all the busyness. I was just internalizing it and I wasn't handing it over to the Lord, but I hadn't even realized. And it took someone praying for me. It took a touch of the spirit to plow that hard ground so that his word of hope and his word of life could be placed into my heart. And I could believe it. The Lord was trying to get my attention and he got it. And I believe the Lord is trying to get your attention today and my attention today. In this parable, uh, there's lots about listening and hearing. In verse 3, Jesus says, listen. In verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. In verse 12, he talks about people being he ever hearing but not understanding. And then in verse 20, he speaks about hearing the word being the first key to bearing fruit, that being the first thing. I just quickly wanted to deal with a couple of really tricky verses that you might have heard from verse 12. Because I'm saying that the Lord wants to get our attention. But then right there in the middle of the parable are some verses which kind of suggest that there are people outside the kingdom that God didn't want to hear the message as if it was kind of blinded. They were blinded from understanding and th their ears were covered so that they didn't hear the message of the, of the Lord. They didn't hear the word and they didn't turn and they didn't repent. It's like, what's going on there, Lord? That, that doesn't quite make sense in the context of the passage. I think often a really helpful rule of us understanding scripture is that we interpret the difficult and the challenging 
in light of the easy and what is clear. And what is clear is that the kingdom of God is wide open. The kingdom of God is wide open and Jesus wanted all to enter it. The invitation was cast out far and wide. Even later on in this chapter, the next parable along about the lamp on the stand from verse 22, Jesus says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus can't be saying he didn't want certain people to hear the message. So what's the context of this? Well, Jesus, in saying this, you might notice if you're reading it, it has quotation marks. And he's alluding to a passage in Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 6. And a common literary um, technique of that day for Jewish literature was to portray fact as purpose. It was to portray fact as purpose. So, for example, um, I had a wet towel and I left it on the bed. We'd say, uh, we, I left it on the bed and then me and Abby had an argument. But in that context, it would be, I left it on the bed so that we could have an argument. So the fact is almost communicated as a purpose. But we know that the purpose of the Lord is that people would enter his kingdom and not that people wouldn't understand and that he's telling this parable not to confuse people, but to help them understand. He wants people to enter his kingdom. He wants to get our attention so that we can hear. He doesn't want our hearts to be hard before him. He wants his word to penetrate. And sometimes we can, it's like we can hear but we don't always hear, if you know what I mean. We can hear, but we don't always hear. Um, we have an co- uh, ongoing conversation in our household between me and Abby, which repeats around many different themes. It's, it's ongoing, but I'm, I'm sure you guys are very familiar with this sort of discussion. It goes something like this. Don, the kitchen bin is overflowing. It's like, yes, darling. That's, you know, I, th- I think some of us have, have perfected that phrase. Yes, darling. What, what are you saying? Or whatever your pet name is for your spouse. Yes, treacle. <laughs> yes. Yes, my darling. Yes, lovely. Yes, sausage. Just well, I don't know what. I'll leave that to you. But anyway, so let's stick with yes, darling. Yes, darling. What are you saying? The, Don, the, the bin is overflowing. It's been overflowing for days and you haven't taken out. That's your job. Okay, okay darling. Um. Are you, are you listening to me, Don? What? You're on your iPad. Can you even hear what I'm saying? Yes, yes, it's fine. I can hear what you're saying. Well, what am I saying then? Um, something about the kitchen bin needing to be emptied. Okay, j- listen to me. Tomorrow is really, really busy for us. Can you please, before work, take out the kitchen bin? It makes such a difference to me. Yes, of course, darling. Well, Don, have you actually heard what I'm saying? I'm like, Yes, darling. <laughs> and it, it goes on and on. But sometimes we can hear, but we're not really hearing, are we? And part of that involves putting aside distractions. To be able to hear what someone's saying, we have to give them attention, don't we? So in that situation, it might involve me putting aside the iPad, switching off the TV, putting aside my phone, and actually giving attention to Abby to find out what she's actually saying. 
please don't give me keep me accountable for that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so to, to be able to hear what someone's saying, we need to give them attention and put aside distractions. And the wonderful thing is, right, when we give the Lord our attention, it's not our idea, is it? He has initiated it. Notice how the, the key, the first key that Jesus says, the first key reason why that ground bore fruit is because it heard the word. And it's God's word. It starts with him. It was his idea. He's in charge. And he speaks his word to us. This isn't us thinking, oh, I should probably give my attention to the Lord because it would be a good idea. No, he is constantly trying to get our attention. And when we give him that time, when we put aside distractions, when we switch off the iPad, say, Lord, what are you saying? It's in response to him. Where is the Lord trying to get your attention? Whenever I get in my work van, I always switch the radio on straight away. So what I started doing for a while was as soon as I reached for the radio, I wouldn't put it on and I'd just I'd just pray a prayer. I'd say, okay, instead of switching that on, Lord, what are you trying to say to me right now? My days would often be really, really busy, full of people needing stuff for me, emails, phone calls, staff team going here, going there. And so just having that little moment just throughout the day, and st- every time I reach for the radio, wait, what is the Lord saying? How is he trying to get my attention? Where have I got a hard heart today? What is going on? What is he trying to say to me? It all starts with hearing from the Lord. I can't stress that enough. And I think possibly, possibly the most important question, or one of the most important questions we can ask going into this new year, is where is the Lord trying to get our attention? Where is the Lord trying to get our attention? What is it about? Who is it for? Who has he put on our heart? What situations? What words is he putting on our heart where we need to pay attention and listen? The first key of that fruitful ground is that Jesus said the person heard the word. The second key, Jesus said, is that the person accepted the word. So as well as hearing, as well as giving attention to, as well as laying aside distractions and giving our focus to something or someone, in particular the Lord, Jesus says it's not just about hearing the word, it's about accepting the word. We must accept the word. There's a wonderful um, story in the book of First Samuel, which was Samuel's calling with Eli. And the Lord was trying to get Samuel's attention. And every time Samuel went to Eli and said, you called, did you not? What, what is it that you want? And Eli said, you moron, go back to bed. I didn't call you. What are you talking about? And the second time he went to him, said, you, you called, did you not? He said, no, go back to bed. And I think it was the third time he said, ah, Samuel, the Lord is getting your attention. The Lord is calling you. So this time, instead of coming to me, say, 
so I'm, I'm speaking off the top of my head here, I'm not quoting it, but I think he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That is the, those are the words, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, the Lord woke him up, and he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord gave him a word, and the word was for Eli, but it was a really, really challenging word. It was a it was almost a rebuking word. And Samuel was under the authority of Eli. Imagine that. Imagine if I got a word rebuking Archie. It would be like, oh my goodness, I can't do that. He's my pastor. That Lord, I, That's just not an option. Samuel got this word from the Lord. He heard him. He said, he gave him his attention. Speak, Lord, for I'm listening. The Lord spoke. It was a challenging word. But then Samuel had to accept it and go and do something, didn't he? He couldn't just hear it and say, that, oh, okay, great, I've given you my attention. Yep, wonderful. Love it, Lord. Brilliant. Uh, amazing. Challenging, but it's incredible how you're speaking to me. But we'll just leave it there. He had to accept the word. And that involved putting one foot in front of the other, opening his mouth and going to speak to Eli and delivering the word of the Lord, not changing it, not sweetening it up, but delivering the word of the Lord. He heard the word and he accepted the word and then he was obedient to the word. Now, the parable that we're looking at also appears in uh, two of the other Gospels. And in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus says that... Um, the the fruitful the, the ground is fruitful because the person heard the word retains the word and then perseveres in the word and that 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 word retain is it, it's perfect isn't it that is such a good illustration to go alongside to accept the word to retain the word to hold on to the word to continue in the word when I was at university, me and my flatmates caught wind of a medical study where you got £100 in cash and six weeks of free food delivered to your door from Tesco, breakfast, lunch and dinner for six weeks. But in return for that, you had to give your urine and your blood every <laughs> week to this medical study. Okay, So essentially they were wanting student guinea pigs. And it was up at the Rower Institute bit of a creepy place. I think that's where Dolly the sheep was cloned. It, I didn't like it up there. But anyway, I didn't want to be cloned, exactly. <laughs> um, but the pool of £100 and free food was just grabbed us. And all of us in our flat, all five of us went for this. And a number of other guys that we knew went for it as well. But quickly the reality of what it meant to be part of the study kicked in. So we had to carry, <laughs> this is terrible, <laughs> we had to carry a, a, a blue cool bag, which looked like a wee kind of um, like cool bag for your picnic or something. Who does that anymore? But anyway, uh, a wee blue cool bag with a, with a strap. And so when we went to uni, every, I think it was three samples a day, you had to go <laughs> into the toilet do your thing in a test tube and then do it up and put it in the cool bag, write on it the time, um, the 
milliliters and everything and yeah so three times a day put it in the bag often there'd be a leak or you know it would just it it wasn't a pleasant experience and you'd be walking around the uni campus and you'd see someone else with the blue cool bag <laughs> and you'd think oh, i know what you've done you've sold your soul for food and 100 pounds <laughs> but gradually um guys in our group just dropped off and just quit the study and said no more i'm sorry i can't do it anymore and gradually it was whittled down to i think two of us who finally completed it it sounded fantastic at the start but we didn't see the course we're called to retain the word in accepting it and in james chapter 1 verses 22 to 25 we read these words brace yourself do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So again, there's an idea of fruit there, blessing and fruit and persevering. And the second soil we read of in this parable is one which has shallow roots. The seed gets planted on soil which is shallow and um, I was reading a bit about it and it sprang up because where a rock was, the moisture would, would hold. So it would be really, um, like it would be really nutritious in that really small space. So it would shoot up. But then as the sun came up and, and scorched it, it, because it had no roots and the moisture was just located to a really small area, the, it would dry up. There'd be no more water and it would wither. It would have shallow roots. It would spring up, but it was scorched. And it didn't continue to grow, this seed, because it lacked root. It didn't have the retaining nature of deep roots, of accepting something and it continuing. It had, it had shallow roots. And it says that initially there was incredible joy that the seed sprung up, but as it faced persecution, and as it faced troubles and trials, it was scorched by the sun and it withered and the joy went. And for some of us, our joy in the Lord has gone. For some of us, we feel like we have been scorched by the sun and we have no roots in the Lord. And it's really difficult. And I think... One of the hearts of what Jesus, what the heart of what Jesus is trying to say here is that there is always more. There's always more of him. Where we feel that our roots are shallow and can't go deeper and our joy is gone and we're feeling withered. I feel the Lord saying to us, that there is always more 
of him. Our roots can always go deeper into him. He will always welcome us back. Think of the prodigal. The son had run away. He had received the inheritance with joy. Gone and spent it. The joy had gone. He went back to the father who embraced him and who welcomed him back. There is grace upon grace upon grace for every single one of us in this room. Where we feel we have withered, where we feel totally dried out, there is always more of God. And he wants to give us back that joy. He wants to give us back that hope that we once had. He wants to give us back that purpose we feel that the enemy has taken away because we have hard hearts. He wants to give that back to us and he can do it. And I really feel that one of the, the main places he can do that is, is in a small group, practically, for us, is in a small group. Um, if you think of it like this, um, Sunday might be where we hear the word, where we worship, where we receive from him, where that seed is planted. And then small group is almost where the ground is cultivated and where we see the seed take root and the roots go down and go deeper. And we have a number of fantastic small groups in this church um, that are open to all of us. And I mean, even this week, I think it is on, yeah, me and Abby feel we're going to launch our small group, a new small group as well, which you'd be very welcome to. But there's a number of fantastic small groups. And that is a, a really practical place where we can accept the word. It's easy to hear the word. How easy is it for us to accept what God is saying and say, okay, if this is what you're saying to me, what does this mean in practice? Where does the rubber hit the road? Where are you calling me to go? What are you calling me to do? How can I place one foot in front of the other? In that James passage, it reminds us to hear the word and do the word. I was listening to a Terry Virgo podcast um, just during our holiday a few days ago. And Terry Virgo started up New Frontiers uh, Church Network, which has over 1,500 churches now worldwide. And he was saying that as a young man in his 20s, um, him and a group of other guys gathered together and started a Bible study group. And he, sa he said this phrase, which has stuck with me, and he said the sole intention of the group was to believe every promise and obey every command. Imagine what our life would be like if we believed every promise that God spoke to us, every word that he spoke to us, every word in his scripture, every encouragement from one another. If we believed every promise and then obeyed every command, I think we'd see incredible fruit. So the second key, Jesus says, the first key to bearing fruit is to hear the word. It starts with him. It's his word. This is not something we earn. This is not something we work really hard to do. The hard work comes later. But at first, it's his word. We receive it. Secondly, we accept the word. But there's a sense of retaining it and continuing in it and persevering in it. And then finally, the last key is to produce a crop. Jesus said this, others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30 some 60 and some a hundred times what was sown 
See, in that day, a usual crop would be between five and 15 fold, with tenfold being a really good crop, being considered a really good crop. So what Jesus is saying here, by straight away going to 30, 60, 100, which would have almost been unheard of in that day, is he's trying to grab the attention of the listeners, because that was an agricultural culture, so they would have understood when Jesus said 30, 60, 100 fold, like, whoa, that is a, how is that even possible? That at the heart of it, this is a miraculous crop. At the heart of it, this isn't us doing one thing and then the Lord doing one thing. Us doing two things and the Lord doing two things. This is us doing one thing and the Lord doing a thousand things. This is us offering the smallest bit of faith and they're being multiplied a hundred by a hundred by a hundred by a hundred. This is a miraculous crop by God's grace. Do you guys believe in that? Do I believe in that? Am I going to believe in that this year and take hold of that, that there is a, a miraculous harvest? But it's almost like this is kind of where the hard work really kicks in as well. Um, it, ground three is, is tragic, the one that Jesus talks about, because the, the seed does grow up. And it does thrive in, in some sense. And the roots do go down deep. But alongside that is the roots of weeds or thorns going down deep and growing alongside it. And we read that um, the still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, that's one thing, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, oh, could have a whole sermon on that, couldn't we? How deceitful is wealth? That that's all right, no problem. It sounds more interesting than what I'm saying. <laughs> <coughs> Where was I? <laughs> um, actually, where was I? Uh, the deceitfulness of wealth yeah that could be a whole talk in itself couldn't it what does wealth promise us promises us security how quickly can that go the floods of what was it a couple of years ago how people had water just passing through their homes what security does a house offer what security does money offer the oil and gas industry crashing people having millions going to nothing having to go to soup kitchens day after day what does wealth have to offer it's a liar. That's what it is. It's, it says, Jesus says the deceitfulness of wealth. It promises security. It doesn't give security. It promises happiness. It doesn't give happiness. In that third ground, the seed is still growing, but it's choked, and it says it doesn't bear fruit. It's still alive. It does still have roots, and it is probably still growing up, but it doesn't bear fruit. And what's the point of this parable about bearing fruit in the Lord and that there being a great harvest? And I think in scripture there's this wonderful tension between us striving and God doing his work. And we can ask the question, what is it? Do we receive a harvest? Is it given to us or do we reach for it? 
Is it God's work or is it our work? That w- that's what we often say. I've just been reading, started reading a really interesting commentary or exposition on Ephesians 6 by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he's just like, you can hear him shouting through the text, saying that this is crazy that people grab one or the other. And it's like what he says is that either we feel that God is going to fight all our battles and we have to do nothing. That is 100% God and all I have to do is sit there and he'll do everything for me. Or the other, that if it's not I who do it, it's not going to happen. And we have this martyr syndrome. If I don't speak the word, it's not going to be spoken and it becomes all about us. But the wonderful thing is, it's both. Actually, it's both together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul talks about how he hasn't arrived at his goal. He says this, it's not that I've arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has already taken hold of for me. Can you hear that again? He said he presses on to take hold of something. So he's reaching out and taking hold of something which Christ has already taken hold of. Can we, can we see what's happening here? It's both. The harvest is the Lord's. It's his word. It's his fruit. It's his kingdom. It's his growth. It's his multiplication. But he wants us involved. He wants us to speak the word. He wants us to accept, hear the word and accept the word and bear fruit. It's both. It's God's work. It's his kingdom. But we press on. And I think that's really clear among us. Take Kath and Janie, for example, they had an idea of doing the Christmas lunch to welcome, yeah, give them a cheer, yeah, to see the lonely welcomed, to see the hungry fed, to see the poor given more food, to see whoever was alone at Christmas given food. Now, they might think that was their idea, but I believe that that was a word from the Lord. But they had to pick up the phone. They had to make the phone calls. They had to book the venue. They had to get flyers printed. Did you do flyers? Or someone had to get flyers printed. Someone had to hand the flyers out. Someone had to set up the Facebook page. Someone had to advertise. Someone had to do the cooking. But it was God's idea and it was God's word. It was both. Take Paula and her small group. They had this idea to start up the coffee morning in Inverurie, but that wasn't their idea. That was God's idea. And they were being obedient to him. And it's incredible hearing what's going on there. And it's starting to think in the new year of all the people, ladies, maybe some men, I don't know, children, who will drop into that cafe and be welcomed by people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is what it looks like to take hold of something which God has taken hold of for us. That is what it looks like to press on, to recognize that we have a responsibility to follow him, to do everything we can, to strive, to work. But it's the Lord's work. At the end of the day, it's not our work. It's his kingdom. And I think that's, that's really important for us. If we do want to see people come into his kingdom and come to know him this next year, if we want to see new small groups started or new ministries started or we want to see family members come to know the Lord, if we want to see healthy marriages, if we want to see friendships healed, 
we want to see God on the move, it starts with hearing his word, accepting it, but we have to put it into practice. We have to decide that we're going to follow this call and remember that it's a miraculous harvest. That although we're striving, although we're fighting, although we're working, the harvest is way beyond what we could have ever done in our own strength. It's 30-fold, it's 60-fold, it's 100-fold. Ephesians 6, two things to hold, verse 10 and 11, be strong in the Lord, but also put on the armour of God. Be strong in the Lord and his his power. Depend on him in everything. Rely on him in everything. Don't rely on yourself at all. Cast yourself entirely on the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. But then it says we need to put on the armour of God as well. And when do you put on armour? When you're going into battle. So we're to be strong in the Lord and to put on the armour of God. So just to summarise before we finish. Jesus wants us to have a miraculous harvest. He wants to see us bearing fruit. He wants to see people welcomed into his kingdom. He wants to see multiplication. That's the norm. That's our benchmark to see people saved, to see lives transformed. But how does that happen? Well, first we have to hear the word. Turn our attention to the Lord. Give him the light of day that we can actually hear what he's saying. Then accept the word, not just accept it momentarily and then get flattened, but to accept it and retain it. Surround yourself with people who can encourage you, who can build you up. That's what we're here for, to run the good race, to fight the good fight, to last till the last day. And then after accepting it, we're to produce a crop. And that crop is the Lord's, and it's going to be incredible. And I'm believing that for this year, that he's got good things planned, and it's going to be remarkable.